0: Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host, and the co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, gorilla 76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. In a post-COVID world, a few forces have converged to set the stage for what my guest today envisions as an on-demand supply chain rooted in America's urban core. In this conversation, we'll talk about a new wave of advanced additive manufacturing technology, the struggling urban centers of America's big cities, the desire to create more control over the supply chain, and the opportunity all of this is creating for American manufacturing in the years ahead. Let me introduce our guest. Elias Stahl is CEO and co-founder of Hilos, a new way to imagine and create without waste. Hylos blends deep tech with timeless craft to make footwear on demand. A 2022 Yale case study found that Hilos technology can cut carbon in half and cut water usage by 99%. Additionally, the company has brought on former Nike executives to lead a rapid scale up of the technology and end to end supply chain solutions. Recent industry awards include the Glossy Award for Best Breakthrough Startup, the Global Footwear Awards, and Best in Show at South by Southwest 2022. Elias founded Hylos from an ambition to change the way the world allows for a creative economy without waste. Prior to Hylos, Elias served in the Israeli Special Forces, worked on urban policy while at the National League of Cities, and helped Fortune 50 brands leverage their influence for social impact as VP of product at Handshake. Elias holds an M.A. from Johns Hopkins University and a B.A. from the University of Toronto. is an avid history nerd, casual swing dancer, and amateur distiller. Elias, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, Elias, can you kick things off by telling us a little bit about your path and the vision that brought about your company, Hilos?
1: So before Hilos, I was VP of product at a company called Handshake. And we're working with Fortune 50 brands that were mostly supply chain companies at BMW, Caterpillar. And it was astonishing to me how well intentioned, well capitalized, and very smart executive teams at these companies uh, weren't able to fundamentally change the very core of their business in a way um, that I think we all felt it needed to change. There was a lot of focus on optimizing around the edges, which is what you hear a lot in manufacturing. Like, let's get better inventory projections, and let's capture our data better and analyze it to make better decisions. But fundamentally, the way things are being made, the way materials are being extracted, finished, and melded or cemented together to create a product, is very similar to how it was a hundred years ago. And there's a huge amount of inefficiency and waste in that. At the same time, we're living at a moment historically. That is so exciting when it comes to materials, hardware, and software capabilities for manufacturing. There's been nothing like this in my mind since the 1890s in synthetic chemistry, where suddenly all three of these categories are undergoing revolutions, which in and of themselves are incredible, but when taken together, create a completely new way to imagine supply chains. And that is what Hilo's came to do is to re-envision global supply chains so that we can make without inventory, overproduction, or waste, so that we can move mass manufacturing at 18-month lead times back to the local urban environment, but do it in a clean, sustainable way and do it much more on demand with the market. And that's the potential of these technologies, a complete digital to physical product creation process that is a new platform for how we imagine and come to life. And that is an incredible, I think, opportunity both for cities that are looking to understand how to bring manufacturing back to them and how to make it part of the neighborhoods where people work and play and how to re-envision industries like fashion, which is the fourth most polluting industry on the planet, for a more sustainable future. Because right now, we spend so much time and energy making more than we need, shipping boxes back and forth, and ultimately landfilling. And that's because we've hit the end of the road of a mass max manufactured kind of globalized supply chain. So that was a bit of a tangent from the original question, but that is where Hilos began and kind of some of the background that informed its inception four years ago.
0: I mean, I love what has motivated and sort of driven the foundation of what your company what it stands for. It's really great. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing specifically inside. I know footwear is kind of your niche or at least has been so far, right? Can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like, what you guys are doing there?
1: So footwear for us is a ground zero focus for inefficiency and waste. It's a place where we know that we can not only move faster and more efficiently in terms of supply chain, but we're able to create a more compelling product for the customer. And I think this is where any manufacturing executive looking to integrate technology into their supply chain needs to lead with, where can it lead to a better product as well as cost savings or efficiencies so that's why the initial focus on footwear footwear is a very interesting animal it's a barely industrialized supply chain most of the technology dates from the civil war and when we had to make fifty thousand pair suddenly almost overnight to outfit a union army and the technologies and the way that footwear is made today is strikingly similar so it takes a brand 12 to 18 months of time to go from an initial design through to in market it's actually fast compared to how long it would take for a lot of electronics companies to move because of the molds and toolings. When a shoe goes to production, it is highly labor intensive and yet also requires molds and tooling. That's where footwear is very unique. So you have the upfront production cost that you would with any tooling category, but you also have two to four hours of labor into every pair, depending on the product category. So very inefficient, high degree of overproduction as a result. We make 24 billion shoes. One out of five goes straight to the landfill every year. And so there's not only a striking need on the environmental side, but also on the consumer and business side to find ways to do things more efficiently. And that's where HILOS began its focus. HILOS fundamentally creates new methods to make for footwear that allows us to take what was once 160 parts assembled in 350 steps and reduces that to five parts assembled in 12 steps with a fraction of the labor and without any tooling costs. We do this by developing not only new methods of make, but also leveraging additive manufacturing and generative design to simplify the production process, to adopt zero waste manufacturing technologies, and to have a digital native core to that product that when moving through digital fabrication can be changed for different design skews on the fly. And so we have very rapid development we can offer those we work with that 12 to 18 month development time window goes down to 90 days with HILOS technology. And then we're able to launch very low volume runs with a high SKU mix, high design mix. So it's a high mix, low volume supply chain for on-demand footwear. And then we're able to build in end of life and disassembly and circularity into the product. So everything that we make is able to be made on demand, made locally, made without waste and made for disassembly. That is the HILO's core focus and technology. But from footwear, we see this expanding across the fashion and apparel industry. Every long tail product category that has high mix, high volume, I think a lot of different SKUs for sizes and styles is ultimately ground zero for waste and overproduction. It was mass manufacturing is really good at making one thing at high volume, high degree of accuracy. But when you have footwear or apparel where it's a little looser, lower volume, higher SKU count, it's very, very inefficient and wasteful. And so that's one place where we saw a digital supply chain to have a huge impact both on the business and on the environment.
0: I'd love to get into additive manufacturing a bit here in this conversation. It's a topic I've had a few guests on that are experts in the space, but it's been a while and I'd love to just sort of do a little mini crash course on sort of what do people need to know right now? Manufacturing leaders, what do they need to know about what's going on in additive? What's possible? I would love for you to just kind of get our listeners up to speed on the current state of additive.
1: I would call the moment we're going through now is the second wave of additive manufacturing. And the first wave was in the teens, In the 20-teens, you had a few core patents for 3D printing expire and suddenly there was a huge diversity of printers coming onto the market. And you had a lot of different startups and established companies investing significantly. Under Armour had a huge lighthouse for 3D printed footwear. Nike did a lot on 3D printed uppers. That was when Adidas and Carbon partnered for the Adidas 4D. which. Up until Hilos was the only scaled 3D printed in footwear in the industry. And that's where you also saw other applications take off. So automotive, aerospace, dental, these were the only applications in that first wave to actually scale. And that's because they all have one thing in common. You didn't have to re-engineer them for the technology for them to be more cost effective in some way. So You could take literally a CAD file that was used to go to a CNC and you could, without too much effort, convert it to a 3D print file print it. And the economies of scale at that time, materials at that time, allowed that to still be cost competitive. So everything outside of those was quick to wither away. And the general disillusionment followed in the late teens. And now we're seeing another emergence of excitement for 3D printing, and that's because Ironically, so much of the investment that happened in the late teens as a result of this wave of interest only began bearing fruit three to five years later. So hardware was difficult to scale and only recently have printers come out onto market that approach industrial scale. Uh, Material stock was very limited. There was really only nylons. Now you have ABS, TPU, metals, wood, and at the same time, software was slow to catch up. You actually had printers that had higher resolution than the software stacks we were using to design because software wasn't... We didn't have 3D design software for manufacturing. We had them for rendering concepts and architectural plans. We didn't think about it as a really high fidelity of production technology. So all of this had to catch up and it began doing so around 2019, 2020, fueling the current wave we see today. The difference between it is that now there's an understanding both in the 3D printing industry as well as outside of it that products need to be reinvented for the technology. Hilo's was a large part of that with footwear, but there's been similar efforts around eyeglasses and around other applications in the consumer market we're seeing take off slowly, uh, but surely that's taking advantage of new materials and the ability to actually scale with this. So there's still, this is still a 35, 40-year-old industry compared to hundreds of years for legacy supply chain technology. And it's not going to immediately be competitive across every application. So I think if I was a manufacturing executive thinking that is not working in additive today, thinking about how I would want to see that on my roadmap, I would start by looking at where my business is today and what are the drivers of its future growth. If you look at overall, A supply chain curve, and you have high volume, low mix product categories on one end and you have low volume, high mix on the other, additive manufacturing is going to be very good for the latter. And as you scale, there's a sweet spot where as you scale up to higher volume, higher mix, it becomes more and more profitable and scalable. But if you have one thing that you're going to make and you're going to make it that way and nothing else, then opening tooling and having a dialed line for that and only that is always going to be more efficient. So that's one thing that I would ask, ask myself, looking at the business and also trying to understand what the opportunity for onshoring and more sustainable manufacturing is with that, as well as more automation on the production floor. Because there's one thing that every manufacturing executive I talk to says repeatedly in the US and that's labor and how hard it is to really re- hire and retain. And so the ability to have, I can tell you, sustainability and more automated technology from a recruiting standpoint, as well as 3D printing writ large, definitely accelerates the ability for manufacturers to attract and retain top talent. So that's how I would paraphrase a little bit of what I've seen in that in manufacturing industry. And it's exciting to see where it's going over the past few years. has been a lot of change.
0: Okay, let's take a quick break here. I'm really excited to announce an incredible event our team at Gorilla76 will be co-hosting in late January and early February of 2024 in Austin, Texas, just for marketers in the manufacturing sector. I'm going to hand it to our strategist, Peyton Warren, to give you the details.
2: Hi, I'm Peyton Warren, strategist at Gorilla76. Over the past few years, our team has been running twice-per-month digital learning events for industrial marketers called Industrial Marketing Live. It's been a huge success and we're seeing 50 to 100 manufacturing marketing folks show up regularly. But one thing this group has told us is that they've been itching for a live, in-person event just for them. Well, we're super excited to be teaming up with True Marketing and Kadena's Part Solutions to deliver exactly that. January 31st through February 2nd of 2024, we'll be co-hosting the Industrial Marketing Summit in Austin, Texas. We have an incredible lineup of speakers for day one who will be covering topics that include SEO in the dawning era of AI, high impact product marketing, elevating the role of marketing within your manufacturing organization, and giving out a demand generation playbook for B2B manufacturers. And that just skims the surface. On day two, we'll be conducting in-depth breakout sessions to go deeper on some of these key topics and help you apply them inside your own organizations. Not only will this be an intensive learning event with some of the sharpest minds in the industrial marketing space, but we'll be hosting social events in the evenings with great food and venues for networking with other manufacturing folks who are trying to solve the same kinds of marketing challenges you are. We're limited to 300 seats. So visit industrialmarketingsummit.com to learn more and reserve your ticket. We'd love to see you in Austin.
0: You kind of started to answer this question, I think, in terms of high volume, low mix, and, and vice versa. But are there specific applications that you see as kind of ripe for additive, and on the other hand, what's probably not ready for it?
1: There's uh, so much that is really interesting, I think, around apparel, accessories, furniture, interior design, highly modular, creatively broad, and exploratory industries that tend to be one-off to low volume. Across a lot of different designs. At the same time, nothing is worse for additive than tin cups or something that's hyper repetitive and high volume. So I would encourage the studios and higher quality, lower volume manufacturers to explore it more near term. And then there are certain technologies that are right now on the kind of alpha beta that hold promise for much higher volume throughput across more legacy high volume manufacturers.
0: So I want to swing back around to something you were kind of talking about a little bit earlier but in a previous conversation also you and I were talking a little bit about how a future where we have a completely on demand supply chain or at least kind of moving in that direction like what would that look like? Can you kind of talk more about the vision there?
1: It's exciting because there's a moment that we're going through I think as a country right now where we're reassessing how we think about urban development in a fundamental way, how we think about manufacturing in a fundamental way. And right now, from where we sit in Portland, and I'm sure that we're not the only city, the city is fundamentally just making decisions now about the next century and how it's going to look. River right on the rail yard. And from 1900 to 1950, it thrived. And then in around the 60s and 70s, like so many other cities, manufacturing left and it went overseas. And this area became somewhat derelict and impoverished. And it's these beautiful brick manufacturing buildings, three, four, five-story buildings. The irony is in the 90s and 2000s, there was a wave of reinvestment and they were made into creative spaces and architecture firms and photographers and designers. And then COVID came and they all began working from home and the urban core and the manufacturing core was left vacant again. And the city's struggling with that. At the same time, you have manufacturing that is far afield from where people live. Large campuses, highly polluting. And there's not a feeling of manufacturing being integrated into the day-to-day fabric of a city. It's kind of on the periphery, outside. And one of the opportunities that we see with the technology that we've built is to be able to bring manufacturing back to the urban cores of these cities, to bring manufacturing back to Old Town in Portland, to bring manufacturing back to the brickyards in Brooklyn. That real estate might be too expensive now. But in Portland, Old Town still reasonable. But the idea is to bring manufacturing back to smaller footprints that are within urban neighborhoods. And so there's an exciting moment where we can have creative economies and manufacturing economies live side by side. And instead of having a future where we have thousands of Americans in distribution centers, Sorting through goods that are made overseas, we can have a future where there are hundreds of Americans in every clean manufacturing studio across green campuses in these urban centers that are actually putting together high quality printed parts and shipping them on demand. And from a brand and retailer side, nothing is more exciting because now instead of having to predict, what someone's going to want to buy 18 months from now, which is literally what the industry is doing right now. Designers are designing for spring summer 25, if you can believe it. They can begin moving at the speed of our daily lives. Something can happen and someone can design it and put it up for sale. And it's not made in advance until someone wants it. And so we're not guessing. We're not guessing what sizes or styles will sell. So for all of the march of retail history, Power has gone from manufacturers to brands, from brands to retailers, from retailers to the consumer. And now's a moment where everything is in flux. We can rewrite that contract so that consumers and manufacturers stand together as part of this urban cohort of prosumers.
0: I love the vision. I think it's such an interesting way to address so many different issues that are going on right now in our economy and in, in manufacturing in light of labor and challenges with sustainability. So it's really cool to hear you kind of talk about this. I mean, there's so many people that we hear from that are
1: working behind screens at some of the really cool brands. We have so many brands here in Portland, but they're all working behind screens and they want to be working with their hands and they want to be in these studios and they want to walk into an office and there's just a bunch of people at desks or you walk into a creative studio and there's this blend of digital work and physical work and there's a creative economy that is tangible and that you can see goes from the screen to your shelf and back it's exciting and it's something that we don't have people that come into our studio and and leave the same way. And I think that's what's inspired us to work more closely with the city of Portland and what we want to do as we see this scale nationally.
0: Elias, what are some of the barriers or challenges you see around sort of moving toward this new model of manufacturing, whether regulatory, market-driven, or investor-driven?
1: The greatest barrier that we see is on the brand side rather than the consumer side. And then the model of manufacturing today is really set up to only be able to afford the lowest possible cost of the good in order to afford downstream waste. This is gonna be very familiar for a lot of manufacturers. The moment you're able to offer a different model, you're allowing a way for a brand or a creative to invest as much as twice as much in the product as they would normally, while still increasing sell through, reducing inventory costs, and becoming more profitable as a business. That's an exciting, opportunity. But it's a complete departure from the old model. It is a system change. And with that, there come challenges. There are going to be some that are really ready for that. There are going to be some that aren't... There's early adopters for a reason. I think what we've seen that's really exciting is the brands and creatives that get it immediately and are really excited, as well as the support that we've seen across industry from manufacturing partners who we work with and increasingly want to deploy our technology within so that they can scale this as well as the partners at the city, county, state, and federal level that are very focused on both clean manufacturing and advanced manufacturing locally. The, another challenge, and that's always going to be there, is the fact that we are competing with industries that have a much greater support, often internationally. So when you look at China and how China treats additive manufacturing, they provide such strong financial support at the public level that there's an unfair advantage for someone developing an additive manufacturing supply chain there versus here. And so I think the government needs to really think about the ability for additive manufacturing and other digital supply chain technologies to completely reinvent US manufacturing, and then to allow for the same investment framework. When we talk to large multinationals based in Europe or the U.S. and where they're putting their investments and uh, that matters. And I think that's something that we've been a little late to the game on.
0: Elias, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you'd like to add to this conversation?
1: In short, I'll preview a few different announcements that we have coming. The first is that Hilos is excited to be launching a new market platform called Hilos Studio, which will debut at Art Basel in a few weeks here and this shows the growth of the company beyond women's brown shoe to an entire breadth of product across the market from outdoor technical all the way to luxury and that's really a testament to the breadth and diversity of brands and creative teams that have reached out wanting to work with us so that's a testament to i think where the market has wanted to take the technology and that's exciting to see on the other side we've been working very closely and hope to have Something to announce in the early next year around the urban development efforts that I've hinted at largely in this conversation around cities being able to rethink how they're developing and scaling. And this is something where we're very focused on collaboration and we know that we're not going to change the global supply chain, the future of global supply chains on our own. And working with committed partners across tier one, tier two, tier threes, as well as with brands and retailers that see this future and want to be a part of it and support it is critical. So we're not going to do this alone. And that would be my call to action for everyone listening. If this is something that you think is important for your business, matters to your community, then reach out and we want to see how we can help. This is something that not one of us will do on our own, but it's an exciting time. There has never been a more exciting time to reinvent manufacturing supply chains in this country. And I'll follow with just, you have our contact information on the web and social. You can always find us at hilos.co and looking forward to getting to see more manufacturing done locally and sustainably.
0: Fantastic. Elias, really great conversation today. I appreciate you doing this. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's really incredible to have
1: a, focused conversation for manufacturing executives. And it's such an
0: important part of this economy. I completely agree. And I think you had a lot of great things to share here. So yeah, thanks again for doing this. Awesome. Appreciate you. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player.